0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Have you been wanting to lose weight and get healthy? Now's the perfect time to start Nutrisystem. Enjoy your favorite foods made healthier, delivered free to your door. Right now, you can get Uniquely Yours Ultimate, our most complete foolproof plan at an amazing price. Order today and save 50%, plus get an extra $40 off. Go to Nutrisystem.com slash save and discover what millions of people already know. Nutrisystem works. Limitations apply. See website for full offer details.
2: Hey, Jordan here. I know a lot of you create your own podcasts and a lot of you already have one like me. I obviously love what I do. It's taken a lot of hard work to get to this point of success. You shouldn't have to pay fees for platform hosting, distribution, analytics, or fees to create a podcast. You need to be able to focus on producing the best show possible. Now, Podcast One, that's a network I'm on, they have Launchpad Digital Media, or Launchpad DM for short. So it's free, includes unlimited hosting, full control of distribution. You have access to a full dashboard with analytics. Again, totally free. You own everything, by the way. You own your content. You own your subscribers. No tricky stuff there and you get your own show page on launchpaddm.com for people to listen to and subscribe to your show. It's the only hosting platform brought to you by the leading network, Podcast One. Podcast One will promote the site, drive people to discover your podcast, and if your show grows... You could even be invited to join Podcast One's All-Star roster, which includes people like Adam Carolla, Caitlin Bristow, Shaq, Lady Gang, and of course me, Jordan Harbinger, I'm there too. You also get access to their production and sales support. So with all this completely free, don't use other hosting platforms. Why would you need to? Learn more or sign up now at launchpaddm.com. And don't forget to check out the Jordan Harbinger Show
1: yahoo fantasy has introduced a new fantasy football game called best ball that lets you get in the action now with best ball you draft your fantasy football team and that's it you don't need to do a thing once you've drafted your team Each week, the top-scoring players at each position on your roster will automatically count towards your weekly score. That's what I've always wanted. Forget about the time commitment. No waiver wire, no trades, no adding or dropping players, no having to make those tough start-or-sit decisions. Focus on the best part of fantasy football, the draft tired of doing mock drafts for your fantasy team and having the other players drop out early and not finish the draft free best ball leagues give you the most accurate adp or average draft position of players before the season starts can't get enough fantasy football don't want, but don't want to manage all those teams all season, you can draft up to 50 best ball teams. That's incredible. Play for free or play for cash, but most importantly, get to drafting with Yahoo Fantasy Best Ball. Join the league today at yahoo.com slash best ball. Coming soon to the Yahoo Fantasy app. The August 16th edition of the PFF forecast, we have some really exciting news about all the things we've learned from the league from preseason that'll be Mm -hmm. wonderful that should take a few minutes yep we're gonna talk uh we're gonna start talking about some divisions we got the nfc south and the nfc west we're gonna talk about quarterback pressure rates a little bit of coverage versus pass rush some of the pff um what we would expect to see this season if everything goes according to form and then last but not least uh we may have a uh story from the y We'll find out Ooh, as we go. So excited. Let's rock. All righty. Uh, let's start here. Antonio Brown has a foot issue. And I feel so like does it's, Rex Ryan, but they're two different ones. I feel like it's a good, I feel like it's a good thing uh, to talk about at the top of the show because we've been talking about a lot of manscaping uh, issues lately. It, to be honest, there's a lot of uh, people out there, men and women, but a lot of men who could use just like oh. some common sense. Mm-hmm. And you are are someone that has seen the light. What do you mean? Seen the light? Well, you used to, you know, not be as into the manscaping thing. And all of a sudden, you've started to really pick it up.
3: Well, I think my wife just bought me a bunch of new, nice clothes. And
1: that's why i Well, I've that been... helps. But, you know, the facial oh, hair. Oh, yeah. The facial hair, yeah. The haircut. The hair. I haven't gotten my haircut in like two months. So I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, so you've just been scaping. Is what I've you're
3: just saying. been scaping. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, I have been taking care of the facial hair a little bit better. The hence...
1: lawnmower? that you got from Manscaped has been really kind.: I, I don't think I actually claimed a lawnmower, to be honest with you. Well, as someone that uses the lawnmower, I can attest. Uh, it does a great job. Antonio <laughs> Brown probably could have used some of this, like... Well, one of those, like, stones that you rub your feet off with, right? Like, that's
3: got to be, like, number so one So have you him.
1: ever done... He said that he got frostbite from doing cryotherapy. Have you ever done cryotherapy? I've never
3: done cryotherapy. The, the most I've ever done is basically the...
1: Uh, Cold tub cold tub yeah yes i've never done cryotherapy uh for one because it takes time uh to go to a place and then you pay money to to sit in it f- sounds awful it's just not something that i am going to do now i could see if you were a, an athlete at the highest level what be, okay we're going to do the the story from the cincy Y at the front of the show here because mm-hmm. this is something that actually pisses me off if you are an average human being and you work out You are not a pro athlete.
3: You're just by definition. You're
1: just a person who is trying not to look terrible, and so you go to the gym. Mm -hmm. You probably don't need thousands of dollars of equipment and treatment to make sure that your lazy ass can can go to the gym every day. You don't. You don't need to go to cryotherapy. you You don't need... You don't need those huge sleeves that go on your legs that, uh, you know, help flush out all of the lactic acid. LeBron James does. Yeah, he I, does because he's a pro athlete. You don't. Just because you squatted for, you know, the first time in six months and you're going to do it next week and then the week after, you don't need this. See, my wires are crossed right
3: now because I live this. I go to the gym in pajama pants sometimes. Yep. I go to the gym with fuzzy sweatpants Doesn't sometimes. Matter. I wear a long-sleeved San Antonio Commander shirt to play basketball mm-hmm. in. I don't have basketball shoes. I play in sneakers. I literally live this because of exactly what you said, which is, like, I'm not a pro athlete. I once was a college athlete, but I even then I said, I'm a Division two football player. I don't need practice cleats nope. and game cleats. I just need cleats, all this kind of stuff. I don't need gloves for practice and games. I just need one pair of gloves. But then I sometimes get made fun of for wearing the fuzzy pants to the gym.
1: Well, the fuzzy pants are hilarious looking. I, I know. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean. So the, so
3: they're, 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 they've crossed the line into you're ridiculous as opposed to you're perfectly understated for the gym.
1: Like, I'm sure you could have just picked shorts instead of the fuzzy pants.
3: Yes. However,
1: uh, laundry, okay. you know. that's that. That is fair. But you are far... You're, so you're far to one side of it. Mm-hmm. There are people that work out probably about as much as you do that are all up on Instagram telling people how much they work out and how their bench press is you know, increasing there was somebody by at 10 pounds a week. There
3: was somebody at the gym this week with the aforementioned leg sleeves who yelled, this is my gym, after he won a three-on-three game
1: at the Cincy Y. Really? And it was an intense three-by-three game, don't get me wrong. Oh, the legs, uh, by the way, the leg sleeves that I'm talking about are the ones that you use for recovery. Have you seen these? No. So they're, they're like these... We're going to get <laughs> complaints on YouTube about just talk All about I'm gonna football. I'm going to stop. But. but if you're one of these people, you know who you are. You're not special. You're not a pro athlete, so stop talking about yourself like you are. Antonio Brown, however, is someone that, look, if he can get any sort of good out of cryotherapy, he should probably do it. The fact that he's doing it without, like socks on his feet is hilarious and it seems as though you're not actually really able to get frostbite from being in one of those chambers for that short amount of period of time. So now I'm very curious. I I honestly think he just doesn't want to
3: practice, which frankly if Do you see
1: the picture of his feet, they look horrible. Yeah, but that's not
3: because of frostbite. That's just because he doesn't take care of himself. So I'm with you. <laughs> I think that's I, why. I think he's I think he doesn't want to practice and he's like, you know, He's too afraid to do what Brett Favre did, which is just like hold out until training camp's yeah, over and
1: then come back. All right. So that was, our, that was our introduction. By the way, you want to be the opposite of Antonio Brown uh, and keep yourself in good shape. You should probably head over to Manscaped to get yourself a lawnmower, get yourself some of the um, wonderful tonics that they have for making sure that you're smelling good, mm-hmm. feeling good, looking good i don't know i use it it works make it happen next up pass interference penalties yeah through two weeks your thoughts people are
3: edging out about this Mm -hmm. and i remember last preseason oh when everybody was getting called for those hits Mm -hmm. over the middle of the field on run plays and people were freaking out about the integrity of the game and funny Like there was higher scoring the first like eight weeks of the season. But I don't think it was because of like these penalties. It was because of just like quarterbacks being good. I think there's been a lot of offensive pass interference penalties called just anecdotally watching the games. There's been a lot of defense. And then there's also this, you know, uh, review structure that I think has people really, really freaking out. And I think it's overblown. I think by the time the season starts, the referees are going to act basically how they've always acted, plus or minus a small term, and, and we'll be fine. It's a preseason
1: for everyone. It is preseason for everyone. we got to get Terry McCauley on the podcast. We do. We should get him we on the should. pod. Uh, I'll see what I can do. I, I'm sure he would love to opine. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he's got—and he will dive into all of the like nooks and crannies of these things that we probably never thought— thought of before he posted something uh last night that i thought was interesting so you can go check it out if you want uh at snf underscore rules Th- there is nothing from the preseason that i'm going to overreact to and it's certainly not going to be this so i think just people should chill out a little bit yeah um kicker traded for a fifth round pick your thoughts i mean
3: it's ridiculous also <laughs> by the way like two days later, he's the, really good though. Right, exactly. We know we know that he's really good. Unlike any other position, we know that kickers, uh, you know, project one season to the next very uh, stably. No, I mean the issue is, and it always has been. I think our friend Ethan Young, who now works for UCLA, you know, published this a while back. But essentially, the idea is that there's just not enough value in in understanding like kicker projections are just simply like too noisy to say okay there's a huge difference between a guy drafted in the fifth round and a guy drafted in the sixth round right a guy drafted in the sixth round versus seventh round versus udfa a kicker his biggest asset is his replaceability in my opinion because the fact of the matter is, anytime we've seen, and there's really only been a couple kickers where this isn't true, but like the Vikings fell into it with Daniel Carlson. They fell into it with Bear Walsh. Now they're probably going to fall into it with Kair Vedvik, right? But the idea is that, oh, we bought into a kicker, and now he's struggling, and unlike any other position on the roster, you can't just put him on the bench like he's the only guy on your team so you have to ride or die with him and and we've seen the vikings lose games because blair walsh couldn't hit the broadside of a barn and they had just drafted him and extended him right so you have to be able with kickers to discard them and you're far less likely to discard a kicker if you've spent draft capital on him okay if you were uh willing to exp- to cut your losses you, this would be the second consecutive year the Vikings have used a fifth-round pick on a kicker they might cut. So this is, is crazy. And the other thing, and, and, and I don't think this, this is also... What if he's the next Justin Tucker? And, and again, anytime somebody says that, I always say, the problem with Justin Tucker is that he makes kicking field goals more enticing. So you're less likely to go for a fourth and one at the 40 because you're going to be like, oh, Justin Tucker can nail one from 57. This is great. And it's like you give up an opportunity to score four and a half points for the opportunity to score two and a half points. And it's like, again, there's really no upside to this at uh, all. If he becomes the next Justin Tucker, you're going to have an offense like the Ravens. Congratulations.
1: That was beautiful. I'm not even going to say anything. I, you know I am on the same page. That's why I asked that question. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel, the more I can uh, invest in field goals, well, I'm going to do it. Well, and the other thing Let's with punters, on. Michael, so but here's stupid. the other
3: thing with punters, too. Oh, if he's a brilliant punter, he is going to add value to your team, but in a way that I also think is negative EV in the long run. No one cares. If you, be, if you, if you are like, hey, we can live off of defense and special teams, you're going to make shitty
1: decisions in the offseason. Really, so, really look forward to your 8-8, eight 9-7 eight, season. Exactly so the big takeaway from the preseason Super Bowl which occurred last night with Boog and Tess no uh no wit uh um, Win place tonight right Wit? <laughs> yeah was Raiders Cardinals and now Kyler Murray's bad did you know this uh I didn't um
3: Witt plays Saturday but yeah Sorry that's how that's how little I care about this This Cardinals game Um, Interestingly for them though and And this gets to our point I'm not worried about Kyler I am worried about A the fact that they wanted to go into a season With Robert Alford starting at corner for them And then B Robert Alford breaks his leg we're going to see, you know, Byron Murphy quite early for them, and it's the depth. Thing. The depth in the secondary is just atrocious. So, if you are you're thinking about Kyler Murray and you're thinking about the over for Arizona, I don't think we've ever recommended it. I would say it's one of those I'm going to leave because I can totally see Arizona getting the six seven wins, but it's going to be it's going to be a grind for them simply because their defense is going to allow thirty thirty five points a game, and I don't know, you know. Putting all that on rookie shoulders, I can certainly see him acting like Cam Newton did in 2011, where you're putting up great stats for a terrible team and you finish 7-9, and nine. but I could also see it where he is just so far behind the eight ball in every single game, we don't see the best of him the way that we did for, for example, Baker last year for a pretty good Browns team.
1: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not overreacting quite as much just because Robert Alford was so bad last year. I don't think this makes really that much of a difference now if the next guy gets injured sure but I uh, not losing sleep over robert alford patrick peterson being suspended is something certainly because he's actually yeah. good at jordan football. hicks is a good coverage player at linebacker that's good um but i'm not worried about kyler at all in fact based on last night what i would be doing is uh is if i believed in the cardinals now is when i would be trying to invest so i would be f- trying to get my fantasy draft to happen This coming week so that I can tell everyone how bad Kyler is and then draft him. That would be my takeaway. Um, Any other players that stuck out week one that you think matter?
3: Uh, I have
1: one. Okay. Um,
3: I mean, I, I still think, and this combines the first two games, I still think Drew Locke is just a rough one right i think that that draft pick i mean i think denver is going to be in a position to draft a quarterback again yeah i mean at least they didn't take him with the sixth pick that's right and he was their second second round pick and their sec their first second round pick looks like a
1: great player in riser so but uh here's the one that i have which is uh mr washington in pittsburgh a guy Uh, who there was a lot of wow this guy's great pick for them last year does absolutely nothing is a guy that just gobbled up deep passes at oklahoma state with mason rudolph he looked fantastic now it means absolutely nothing it was josh dobbs throwing him the ball but at least he didn't you would expect a guy in their second year it's kind of like nba summer league if you see a guy that's in his second year in nba summer league and he's not tearing it up Mm -hmm. that's a problem so if i'm a second year wide receiver who is a first round pick and I'm not out there making things happen, yep. that's a problem. And he did make some things happen. That would be big for the Pittsburgh Steelers to regenerate that receiving core, have it be more widely dispersed. Because I think what they want to get away from is what they had with Antonio Brown, where it's like we're going to feed him 180, okay. 190 targets every year. want to be more uh, multifaceted. And if he can be a contributor, if – um, Deontay Johnson can be a contributor, a guy who was real shifty, ran great routes um, in college. Only Hollywood Brown had more uh, targets with a step or more of separation than Deontay Johnson. That could be big for the Pittsburgh Steelers.
3: Well, and not only that, but they also have, you know, Dante Moncrief coming over, and he's a veteran <sighs> that can... That's right. I forgot about my boy Moncrief. So, so it... it And again, it's it's the same thing with the secondary. You're not saying I'm putting all my eggs in Moncrief's basket, all my eggs in Deontay Johnson's basket, or uh, James Washington. But I'm going to put them. I'm going to take a few bets and hope that three of those guys work out, including Juju Smith-Schuster, Vance McDonald at tight end. I think that that team and we wrote about this a couple weeks ago i think that team is underrated in terms of you're looking at playoff props props to win the afc north um that's a team that i, I i'm looking forward to seeing again as we talked about with we're, we're going to talk about with pressure versus you know uh quarterback versus o-line big ben gets rid of the ball quickly a guy like johnson shifty underneath the coverage uh washington over the top to to sort of beat teams deep i think that's a has a potential to be a good receiving court even though brown is now gone
1: all right, the last bit of news, which we have to talk about in large part because you took this player uh, to be a part of your franchise going forward and were not, did not have any qualms with the fact that he has a malady of injuries. And this is Andrew oh, Luck. Yep. Andrew Luck is apparently in danger of missing the first week uh, week one potentially more time with this mysterious calf high ankle yep. issue he had a wrap on what looked to be his ankle more than his calf and this feels eerily similar to the shoulder deal it's like no he's just re- he's resting he'll be fine and then all of a sudden he's out forever Jacoby Brissett comes in and plays for your Colts you're someone that has ballyhooed the Colts left and right you thought they were a great sleeper team for the Super Bowl this year how do you feel now
3: I mean, I like the Colts longer term than I do, like this year particularly against the market. Oh, nice! That they're over. Good pivot there. (laughs) Yeah, but um, I mean, it does show like the as far as backup quarterbacks go, Brissett's probably one of the best in the league, right? So, so that's like a good like insurance policy for them. They don't have to go out and take a draft pick to sign him. They don't have to start Scott Tolzien all that kind of nonsense. I am worried though. I think. Any time like it's just not clear. The team can't come out and say, "Look, he's got like Liz Frank injuries out for six weeks." I'm a little nervous, right? Because I've seen this. We've seen this song and dance before with him. Um, Ballard has done a good job of assembling a roster. I think it's in a good position. I do think their defense will regress a little bit this year, and it'll force them to get some personnel there. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I think right now and our AFC South article is coming out next week. But I think just as a preview to that, I do think the Colts are overvalued in the market
1: right now, even with the luck news. Uh, Well, because no one really knows, I think a lot of people are saying, well, I'm going to hedge he's going to play. Well,
3: and I don't think that they've earned, you know, an over under of double digits or nine and a half. Even I think is reserved for truly great teams like truly. I mean, I think it's reserved for the Saints. I think it's reserved for New England, Kansas City. Um, Sam the Rams the, the Niners yeah and <laughs> and so and I just don't see it right I I, I would put a projection more around nine for them uh, as the median and so if you're if you're but somebody still who
1: honestly feels high given what we know right but but
3: I also think that that division isn't very strong so the question is is like if they take a step back are they still good enough to be, win in a division where Houston has the the league's toughest schedule according to our metrics t- Tennessee has Mariota on his third offensive coordinator in as many years, and the Jaguars are the Jaguars. Like, I still think they could win that division, but it might be one of those where they win it at nine and seven, uh, and, and you cash the under. Jacoby Brissett just took a sack. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, um, yeah. He's stood in the pocket forever, right? Because my man know, takes sacks like fat people eat donuts. It's incredible. I, here's the thing with the Colts that I think is uh, underrated Jacoby Brissett was bad when the, he last played contrary to what some idiots have have proclaimed mm-hmm. um, he's not very good he's but, good for a backup but yeah he's not a good not starter. very good overall relative to the other players that are playing quarterback however frank reich is a great offensive coach and so if we're ever going to see a situation where a guy comes in who's not very good but the team still manages to play well it is going to be with a guy like Frank Reich now, the ninety-two we, Bills too. If we think back, if we think back to last year, Andrew Luck through the first what five six weeks of the season was sort of like having a backup quarterback because yep. he was coming off this injury. They wasn't throwing the ball downfield, and yes, they struggled mightily. But I think Frank Reich puts together an offense that at least allows them to potentially be successful. Whereas normally you just be like, well, I'm going to punt. Well, the difficulty is
3: though is that. If you ha I think if Reich has an entire off season to plan around having Brissett as sure. his quarterback, it's probably a far better outcome than planning on the fly, which is what they did in twenty uh two thousand and seventeen prior to Reich joining and then and then uh, last season, I think they were planning on having luck, but it, even then, there was some uncertainty there, and it took luck a while. Um, you know, T.Y. Hilton's still one of the best receivers in the league. Uh, I think their two tight ends are really solid. Um, obviously, Paris Campbell they drafted. Uh, they have running backs that I think are multifaceted, and, you know, none of them are really going to be bell cow type players. So, uh, I think that they're a good offense moving forward, and I think if Brissett comes in, like let's say Brissett has to start four games, I think he probably wins one to two of them, and that's okay. I think you know it's it's the issue when he has to start twelve or fifteen games, uh, like he did in
1: 2017, where I think they'll struggle. Yeah. Uh, regardless, it would suck to not have a healthy Andrew Luck because for mm-hmm. the league's sake. If I if I think about this upcoming season it's wow we have a chance to have maybe the best set of quarterbacks this is going to be great you know last year was awesome we had all these new young guys now we know more about them they turned out to be pretty good you've got a couple guys coming back from injury mm-hmm. and it would just you know got Andrew Luck's a guy that could be he's a legitimate MVP candidate if he's healthy yep Alrighty, righty we are on to a couple of division previews and we're going to start with the NFC South which is one of the more interesting and fun divisions because there's a clear favorite, a Super Bowl contender. There is a team that is not the favorite, but was, has been closer to winning a Super Bowl than any other team mm-hmm. in this division. Uh, there is a team that uh, is not the favorite, is you know kind of mired in mediocrity, but has a superstar that came close to winning the Super Bowl. And then there's a team that at the bottom of the division where we have no idea. Mm-hmm. Jameis Winston and Bruce Arians, this amazing wild card that if everything clicks together, and you should all check out uh, Timo Riske, PFF underscore Moose article about uh, matching up passing concept with quarterback with Jameis and Arians, they could be an amazing offense. They've drafted a bunch of defensive players. So there may not be a more interesting division than the NFC South. Let's start here. Who's the most important player in this division, in your mind? I think it's also
3: who has been the most valuable player, which is surprisingly Matt Ryan. Um, In my opinion, and and again, this is this is not a slight on Drew Brees; it's more of a slight on Matt Schaub than anything. But I think I think if Matt Ryan misses a snap, if Matt Ryan misses one game this year, the Falcons' probability of making the playoffs is cut in half. Uh, just because Matt Schaub is such a downgrade. That offense is so hint- That offense struggles at, at edge case things like mm-hmm. red zone and, and, and third, third downs and stuff like that, that we don't appreciate how good Matt Ryan is. Whereas Drew Brees is a brilliant Hall of Fame quarterback, I think, no doubt about it. But I think if he misses a game or two, they could probably go 500 for the same reason I talked about Brissette with Bridgewater. Like, I think there's similar backups. Um, and. and and the other thing about it is I think Breeze has, it's, it's hard to say because he's a Hall of Famer, but he, he at, he's asked to do things that are more replicable than what Ryan does. right? The the shorter passes get the ball out quickly. Not to say that it's easy to do, but it's just probably more repli- replicable than what Ryan does. So I think Ryan's the most important player in the division. Uh, and I don't think it's really, I don't think, I think it's close, but it's not as close as people think.
1: Damn it. I, I did <laughs> not think you were going to say Ryan. I was going to say Matt Ryan as well. The the point that you make about the edge cases for the Falcons is a really important one, because if you're going to say Ryan, then what I'll go ahead and say is Dan Quinn, because the difference between Matt Ryan and Drew Brees is very it's very slim. They're both very good quarterbacks. And now I think most people would say, well, Drew Brees is certainly better than Matt Ryan. And he certainly was last year. But over the course of the last few years, they have both been tremendous. And Matt Ryan Mm -hmm. squeaks past Drew Brees. You can go read the article on PFF.com and we'll go into it in more detail. But Drew Brees has the benefit of Sean Payton, who makes the right decisions more frequently than dan quinn has and i think dan quinn being a defensive guy has has struggled with this a little bit And i don't think it's because he's not trying but that team that falcons team has kind of accrued this identity of i'm t- I'm, a- I'm timid and they shouldn't be timid yeah. because they have maybe the best wide receiver uh quarterback wide receiver duo left in the league yeah. Now um, that that A B and Big Ben and Gronk and, and Brady are no longer together, and yet they don't push this advantage, Sean Payton pushes the advantage that he has Drew Brees. Yes. He says, "Look, if I have a chance on fourth and one to keep Drew Brees on the field, I'm doing it." Which and, is crazy because they actually have a good defense compared to the Falcons. The Falcons should be the team that acts right. like the Saints, but they don't. And so, to me, if Dan Quinn is able to put himself in the frame of mind where we are a great offense. And we're going to play like it, mm-hmm. then the Falcons can be the best team in this division once again, because their quarterback is that good, because they' everyone's talking about Michael Thomas. I'd rather have Julio Jones, mm-hmm. right? And as great as Alvin Kamara is, he's still catching passes you, know, at the line of scrimmage. So he's not someone that's all of a sudden going to necessarily push them over the top. And their defense was so bad last year, right? that mm-hmm. if it just regresses a little bit dan quinn's decision making here i think becomes huge there's that second and long thing that we talk about all the time they ran on second and long at the ninth highest rate i know you I know. know what their yards per pass play was on second and long let's say nine it was like 8.8 <laughs> 8. yeah their yards per run play on second and long 3.1 it was <laughs> an absolute travesty yeah. so uh I think Matt Ryan dan Quinn, the most valuable duo the, and i don 't think the it's thing close. that we and we wrote about this in the article or the most is, important duo sorry
3: we, we wrote about this in the article. Julio Jones simply doesn 't play as much as some of these other guys right? do, and so when you look about his like, his yards per route run, you look that that 's an i think inflatedly high in some sense because he 's not on the field all the time, and I know they 're trying to mitigate his injuries, but they are as a result of some of those things one of the most predictable teams in the NFL at times when you have i think it was like who was his name like hardy when you go 22 personnel and the wide receiver is not jones like i'm sorry the other team knows you're, you're going to run the football it's a disaster. and it's not like they have i mean austin hooper i think is an underrated tight end but he's no tony gonzalez so you're not like going to win in those situations and i think it sounds bad but i think julio should just be out in the field more and and, and they should just be less predictable They I think that they were hurt a little bit by the fact that, you know, now that Tevin Coleman plays for the Niners, they had two running backs who were pretty good, like talented players. And in 2016, Shanahan used them in efficient ways out of the backfield, throwing them the football. And so then in 2017 and 18, Sarkeesian used them, but in dumb ways. I think hopefully as they go to go into this season, the Edo Smiths uh, and the Devontae Freemans are used again as backfield, you know, passing passing players as opposed to rushing players. That, you know again those edge cases so they can squeeze those down and be more efficient on them i think we're going to see matt ryan have sort of an mvp caliber season in a way he did in 2016 i'm not as optimistic maybe as some because dirt cutters had his history before but i think Cutters an upgrade over sarkeesian certainly
1: yeah it's it's matt ryan's the offensive coordinator you'd hope
3: that, that, that's, I mean, that's really what's what you the hope. thing
1: here and their red zone efficiency uh, much maligned really is not something that's that big of an issue There are far bigger systemic issues right they kind of figured out look we need to throw the middle of the field we need to throw in breaking need yep. to so get rid of these this fade bs which is absolute garbage um and they did do that okay so i think we've answered the next question already which is if the favorite doesn't win kind of why is that the case and let's spin it one rung down the ladder here which is okay if the saints don't win and it's not the falcons You've got the Panthers and the Bucks here. I
3: think I know where are going make a, with this one. This is um, where we're going to make a decision that's different than most, I think. Who's winning and why? I think it's Tampa Bay. And I think Tampa Bay, because, okay, there's a lot of positives about Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Jameis Winston has this nature about him of throwing the ball in places that Bruce Arians likes to utilize. And I think as much as Jameis has struggled at times, I think... He has the potential and his positive graded throw rate. Tampa Bay's expected points added on passing plays has been in the top 10 the last two seasons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is a good offense, and I think if they turbocharge it with Arians and get some reversion to the mean defensively by drafting a lot of coverage players and just flat out being healthier, that's a, that, that team can win seven or eight games, maybe even nine or ten if the other teams fall off. Carolina weirdly right they they talk about getting off to a six and two start and oh they ran bad for the last seven weeks well their six and two start was pretty fraudulent they won against the Giants on a 63 yard field goal at home Uh, they had they won against the Eagles despite being down 17 nothing in the fourth quarter Uh, I'm trying to think I'm trying to think of their other games they they had they had some luck along the way and then things yeah got unlucky down the stretch with injuries to Cam and, and but they haven't addressed a lot of the issues that they had last season, which is a cam still has to play this way to be effective. B they're relying too much on a running back offensively and C they can't cover anybody and their secondary is not, you know, their secondary is young and has some potential, but thus far has not really shown anything in the NFL. Yeah, I don't think this is
1: even close. I, I don't, I think the bucks are solidly better than the Panthers and A lot of it, it gets back to the so. Jameis Winston seems to finally be in a situation where if you said, "Hey, Jameis Winston, you're your quarterback," design the perfect situation for him. This is it. Mm -hmm. Cam Newton, on the other hand, and people misconstrue this all the time. But I've seen a bunch of, "Oh, Cam's throwing it shorter, and look, he's so much more accurate. Isn't this great?" And that really was more of a narrative than anything that was really true, right? I mean, yes. And that is frustrating because he's actually not that accurate. It's just that when you throw shorter passes, you're going to complete. You're more accurate than you once was. You, you once, once were, were. But, but not compared to league average rates. And you're not generating. It doesn't matter if you're accurate. It matters that you generate value. That's what you need to be right. worried about. And so what they should be looking at is not, well, what gets his completion percentage highest? It's. What's going to generate us the most value and that's throwing the ball at or near the sticks, which yeah. they need to do more of. And they also don't have a whole host of receivers that are necessarily proven. Now I think it could be the case yeah, yeah. that those you know, that DJ Moore comes through and and ends up being that guy. But as of right now, Way more confident. Right, this is box. this
3: is where folks like us are sort of fading the training camp narrative. Curtis Samuel's the next, you know, coming of Percy Harvin. Uh, you know, DJ <laughs> Moore, DJ Moore <laughs> is version? is sort of this, uh, you know, second year receiver who played well a season ago, but will have to uh, improve his game a little bit. They really don't have. You know, the the big, re- you know, Calvin Benjamin was supposed to be this player that could sort of box out folks and be that sort of X receiver that does all those things. I, I don't see that on their roster now. They do have the potential to have a good receiving core, but Greg Olson was the sort of fulcrum of that entire passing game for years. And we've seen him, him steadily decline over the years. So that, again, is a tough one um, because Cam, being sort of more of a down-the-field thrower, Greg Olson one of the more athletic tight ends we've ever seen in league history uh, really did you know elevate that he's of course getting older and as as we know not quite as good as he used to be so the question it, to, and to me the interesting thing is if Christian McCaffrey falls off at all or gets hurt like we're no longer you're no longer seeing this like variance that Carolina got in the early part of the season where their offense was effective because of a running back and his you know skill set like and, and you know, anytime I see one thing for a running back, I tend to fade it. So if we see McCaffrey being the most valuable running back in the NFL last season, I'm going to sort of regress that a little bit. And then what is that offense? I mean, it's it's Bad. really tough to
1: see. Bad is what it is. Plus, uh, Norv Turner. Yes or no question here, because we're going to move on. Can the Bucks win the division without one or both of the two other good teams like falling off? Uh. That's a really good question. That's more than one a- uh, word answer. Sorry. Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. I agree with you. We're moving on to the NFC West. So we'll start in the same way that we did with the NFC South. Most important player in this division is Hoomst. I don't think it's close. It's Todd Gurley. <laughs>
3: oh, sorry. I'm supposed to be serious. Uh, I also don't think it's close. It's Russell Wilson.
1: Okay. What say you? Are you you're, I said one word answer on the previous question. Yeah. you're allowed to give me more here <laughs> I mean if Wilson doesn't
3: play that team's a that team's sixteen <laughs> so and if he does play, they're lined at eight and a half wins so yeah,
1: I think that's probably the most important so i I don't disagree with you, but I think the most important player in this division is Jared Goff. Goff, And here's the reason it's Jared Goff. If Jared Goff is the mean of what we saw the last, what, four games of the season and his efficiency, that, you know, if he's an average guy instead of a top eight guy. All of a sudden, I don't think there's a team in that division that doesn't have, doesn't feel like they can win it. Maybe the Cardinals, because yeah. they're you know just like who knows. But Kyler Murray's the guy that has the ceiling where if he hits it, all of a sudden we're like, holy cow! So Jared Goff is the guy, and I, th- and it's kind of a Sean McVay you know thing too because they're so tied to each other. But if that offense. Um, is not more multifaceted if Jared Goff isn't able to overcome some of the deficiencies that he had last year whenever a team played you know with four guys back there and he all of a sudden couldn't hit that deep crosser if Cooper Cup coming back isn't the panacea that we had hoped it would be Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden that division is wide open
3: I think Jared Goff is the most important player in this division in terms of a in terms of long term the composition of this division alters substantially if he's not the franchise quarterback, the Rams. And I a hundred percent agree with you there. If for this one season, I think Wilson is, you know, because obviously, yeah, and it says more about what I think of the Seahawks and it says, what I think about the Rams. I think the Seahawks are not going, you know, our projection for them, probably what? 8.7 wins. So a little bit over the Vegas over under, not enough to bet the over with the juice, but like, my thing with them is that they're 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 not a good team anymore. Mm-hmm. They last season are you know the reason we liked them on the over was you know they had Wagner, uh, Baldwin, Clark, Earl, Russell Wilson. Like more than half of those players are gone. They're basically a team with a bunch of players that have to prove themselves and a really great middle linebacker and a really great quarterback, and so. There's a lot of situations where I think this team is somewhere between nine and seven and and seven and nine, in which case the 49ers and the Cardinals are more of a factor in that division. And the only thing that, like, sort of long term is a question for me is whether the Rams are an arm's length away from all three of those teams. Mm -hmm. And if Goff is not the player that he's supposed to be, then the answer is they're
1: not, right? The only thing that I'll push back on there is how can the most important player in a division be a guy that his own team doesn't trust on second and (laughs) long well that's a good one so the seahawks they're protecting him right the seahawks on second and eight plus ran the ball more than any other team um we've gone over this many many times but it's just so suboptimal um to do that uh one of the like sort of kind of macro level data points that I think is useful is if you have a drive with a second and long play that is a run versus a drive that has a second and long play with, or more than one with no runs, um, the run drive results in a touchdown 3% less often than the ones that were all passes. So, it just really hurts your chances of picking Mm -hmm. up first down and ultimately scoring, and they do that more than any other team, and that's when you need to leverage Russell Wilson. He was so great on third down last year, it's just hard to imagine that, being replicable, so I, I don't disagree with you in, in his importance. I just think he should probably be used more, yeah. and that would increase his importance.
3: Yeah, and I, I, and I think that combined with the you know, sort of loss of talent that they've had across the roster for multiple seasons mm-hmm. is probably a reason why, if you're looking at like the delta in wins, it's him. If you look at the long-term outlook of the division, it's it's Goff because the whole complexion of the division changes if Goff
1: need if they need to move on from Goff. The So if the favorite doesn't win, that's the Rams. Um, so things go a little wonky. Are you willing to put your stake in the ground that it's the Seahawks that claim the division? No. Because I'm not. No. And I, I actually think... I, now I don't want to say this because I'm a Niners fan. And I try to keep my expectations where they should be right in the mm-hmm. middle. But the ceiling for a team like the Niners where it turns out that their coverage players aren't terrible mm-hmm. and they can be like 23rd as opposed to 32nd. Mm-hmm. The offense is such that they could have one of those seasons where I don't want to say like the Falcons when they made it to the Super Bowl, but they have all the components. They have some really great players that can make, you know, they, George Kittle is such a special player right they have a bunch of young receivers that hopefully um Kyle Shannon can put in the right position and then Jimmy Garoppolo is the type of quarterback where you could see that ceiling but even but the
3: people aren't I don't think people are concerned so much about the Niners offense other than you know Garoppolo emerging and being the player that at least you think he is Uh, but the defense right if we look at the 2016 Falcons defense what was their characteristic they were young and fast the 49ers current defense is young and fast uh Warner from BYU Like, he's not Deion Jones, but he's kind of the similar player in that he's fast and he's a smaller linebacker. Uh, Devondre Campbell, I mean, like, you know, the issue was, and the Falcons weren't brilliant in the secondary that year. They had some positive variants. Brian Poole played well for once. Robert Alford played well for once. That's certainly not a possibility for the Niners. And then the Niners have a better front four than the Falcons ever did in 2016. And they run the same defensive scheme as the 2016 Falcons. So there's all of those, again, if. And, There's and the a fa- reason I made that comparison. Yeah. It feels... Right, it feels the same. That's, and the thing feels is, like is, is if you're ahead, the, the thing about defense, and this is why it's unstable, and this is why we fade it all the time... Is if you are a defense that's confident that your offense is going to score on every possession, you can just act differently. You can rush the passer with more reckless abandon. You can jump routes. You can do all those things because you know if you give up a stupid touchdown, your offense is going to have your back. It's, it's really in those situations where the offense isn't good that it sort of highlights defensive efficiencies because the defense is playing tight. They know they can't make mistakes, and those mistakes are magnified in the broad part of the game. If the Niners offense takes off and becomes a top five unit in the league, their deficiencies defensively are going to be hidden a little bit. And, and they're going to get more than two interceptions like they got last year. They're going to get sacks, and those sacks will come on third and long when another team knows they have to drop back seven steps and come back from behind. Uh, and so that's why defense is unstable, and that's why you should fade it. And it doesn't matter as much as people think because it really depends upon the
1: offense so much. Well, look, if I know I have a great defense on the other side, I'm going to try to score less. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna run the football and be more <laughs>
3: be more inefficient.
1: Yeah. That's the best. That's the best because I know you know that's the like the retort from mm-hmm. people. It's like, well, yeah, but if I have a great defense, then I know I don't have to do as much as on, on offense. I reject like, the premise. Frankly, listen, buddy, you got to score <laughs> points to win this football game. I, I, I reject to break the to idea you. that you know you have a good defense <laughs> nine times out of ten. Sure, that's the. I mean, that's the other huge issue. Um, okay, uh, anything else with the NFC West? I feel like that was way shorter than.
3: Um, like, like I said, I think this is really interesting in that the Rams last season were this perfect candidate of a team that went from four wins to 11, I believe. And as you said about the Browns, you know, it's a lot harder to go from that 11 wins to 12. But they did it. And that and, and so the question then becomes, is, is there regression this year? It's probably less likely than it was last year at this time. Um, but I do think this is a one-team division in an NFC that, like, I mean, I think the wild card is going to come out of somewhere else, frankly,
1: unless the Niners emerge uh, and, and become that, uh, that team, Here, I think, that we thought they were going to be last year, frankly. Here's an interesting question. The next NFC West team to win a Super Bowl will be who?
3: Yeah, I, mean, I think you've got to go Rams. Interesting. <laughs> I,
1: uh, I, I don't think it's, it's as close. I think there's a lot of question mark with Jared Goff. With what they end up doing with Jared Goff, if they end up paying him a ton of money, do they handicap themselves? Is he worth it? Sean McVay, who I am a huge proponent of because I think he does a great job of all of the like culture-building aspects that are so important. Mm-hmm. And he's a real sharp guy. But he's got to make some improvements from an offensive standpoint. And especially with a decision making standpoint, if they're gonna be conservative on fourth down, I'm not putting my i yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not taking that team. So um, I look. think from a scheme
3: perspective though, they can evolve because he's already evolved. Sure. When he was in Washington, that tight that no, offense correct. was very tight end friendly and it became a three wide receiver offense in LA, I think they might go back to a little bit more I mean, they might use Gerald Everett, for they example. Should, yeah, because he's, he's actually good. And I think from an X's and O's perspective, I think he'll adapt. The well, issue is going to be
1: the, the... I said the this when, when everyone was having an, a circle jerk about their using 11 personnel. My point was, he's just using the, the best, best players, players on his team. His this only is, mistake is playing Higby more
3: than he should, frankly. This
1: is like, you know, it's just... It's, yeah. That's what a good coach should do, is yeah. play the best players. So, yes, Jared L, G, Gerald Everett is good enough to play. Higby is a guy that gives you some flexibility, right? So if they come out light and, you know open up the opportunity for them to get an easy five yards on you know first and ten running the ball he gives them that kind of versatility there um so they can keep those guys on the field and just um you know confuse the defense but he's got to make the right decisions on fourth downs more frequently uh so as does dan quinn all right um sort of last but not least so let's let's leave the if pffs All PFFs, uh, like forecasts come true. What will happen for another week? And let's talk about the great article that you wrote because, uh, you should go check it out. It's about quarterback, uh, and offensive lines who owns the pressure rate. And what we mean by that is, is it a trait of the offensive line or is it a trait of the quarterback who is most responsible for the amount of pressure that they, uh, that they feel, and I actually think we talked about a player who is an interesting, um, interesting case study for this because I think common knowledge or common belief is it's the offensive line because they're the people blocking the pass rushers.
3: Yeah. And and this has been hinted at by folks before. I think in the article I cite, you know, Josh Hermsmeyer had a tweet about hits and her, hits and sacks. Uh, I think football outsiders did it a while back and you know, all the, but we have pressure data and pressure of course is, is one of those things. If you look at pressure rate for an offensive lineman, pressure rate for a defensive lineman, you're talking about R squareds of 0.5, which is like unreal uh, for, um, uh, for NFL, uh, you know, players, uh, and so, like, we're clearly capturing something about offensive and defensive linemen that whether they're good or not. Mm-hmm. But the real question is, is how much does it affect the play? And you look at across the league. You look at like Peyton Manning, right? He really simple, like, you know, just looking at like the years where he played and he didn't play. His pressure rates were suppressed, right? Dan Marino, back when he played for the Dolphins, he went an entire season being sacked six times. You know, it's just some of these players like process this thing. Tom Brady, I believe, you know, had like, I can't remember the numbers, but in 2007, his pressure rate, you know, uh, invited was pretty low. Matt Castle comes in for 2008, same offensive line, high pressure rates. 2009, low pressure rates. Teddy Bridgewater with Minnesota, same bad offensive line, takes pressure rate at a rate of 50%. Bradford's like 15% lower than that in 2016. So you're looking at like, is this something characteristic of the QB? so then I went in and did basically a look at the play by play data, and the answer is yes, I mean the time to throw is more affected by the quarterbacks pressure rate uh invited or the quarterbacks time to throw historically than that than that of the offensive line. And I think that makes some sense because there's just some instability about the offensive line and you know the, the five starters for one, but the other thing is like just quarterbacks have you know quarterbacks
1: just have a nature about them, I think. No, that's exactly what I was going to say. And, and you should go read the article so that you can get the finer points here. But if sometimes we view athletes as these super adaptable robots. OK, yeah, they're not <laughs> right. Just like you and I are not right. Right. If I go to eat lunch somewhere, regardless of what restaurant I go to, I feel pretty confident that I know what you're going to get. Ballpark, and I know what I'm gonna get, ballpark. Right? Yep. And it doesn't matter what restaurant I go to, because I am the way I am and you are the way you are. Right. Russell Wilson is the way he is. So their offensive line got way better last year, right? He was under pressure two, three percent less often. Why? now, I'm not saying that his that the pockets he faced were as destroyed, but what I'm saying is it's a trait of his that he's gonna hold on to the ball for a little while. So he's going to invite that pressure at that mm-hmm. normal rate or that rate that's consistent with what he's done his whole career now it wasn't 45 percent, which it was earlier in his career but it was still at 40 which is right around where he has been the entirety of his career and so that is a useful thing to know because it i think it's comforting right it like tells you that there is some uh continuity among the way that you know these quarterbacks play they're not just uh you know system fits Mm -hmm. right there are things that the scheme can do there are things that the offensive line can do but ultimately it really does come down to what is this quarterback who does he want to be
3: yeah absolutely and there is some obviously room for scheme adjustments we saw with Andrew Luck he was a guy who held the ball long in the pocket but I think it also is telling that the coach of the you know, Colts thinks that Andrew Luck has control over this as opposed to his offensive line um, because really I mean when you're building an offense you sort of have to I think test or, or have your offense sort of pliable to this idea that offensive linemen are going to get hurt and you can't, you can't always rely upon uh, Tyron Smith to sort of like stonewall a defensive end every single play. You have, to have, you, you have to have this sort of nature about it. We're going to be a team that throws the ball quickly. We're going to be a team that, um, you know, drops back seven steps, you know, like a la the Rams, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and that really is dependent upon the quarterback's nature. And what we've seen is even when guys switch teams and switch coordinators, it's still pretty stable. I mean, there are these, there are the Andrew Luck changes. There are season level changes, but they're not as drastic as the season-level changes of offensive linemen uh, on teams.
1: What this kind of brings us into is a a looking back again at the clean versus pressure discussion, because obviously play from a clean pocket is more valuable because your expected outcome is far superior. But what this also tells us is, well, if I know a guy has had a lot of clean pockets, I think Ben Roethlisberger, I think you cite him in the article because... Mm -hmm. He's been pretty consistent in having about 75% of his dropbacks into in a clean pocket, which is uh, the highest rate in the NFL. That's something that is going to be more resistant to perturbations on the offensive line than maybe we had thought mm-hmm. originally. So a guy like Roethlisberger, I kind of expect to sit in that same bucket as far as how many clean pockets he'll have and how many pressure pockets he'll have. And I know about what he's going to do from a clean pocket. Guys who invite a ton of pressure... They're in situations where, like, I don't know. Right. I mean, that's, how, that's why, you know,
3: when you're looking at, like, f- people trying to project who the top fantasy quarterback is going to be this year, they all say Deshaun Watson. And, and, like, I like Deshaun Watson. I I you know I think, I think he's a he's gonna, good young quarterback. But the fact is, is his pressure rate is in the 40s. And last season he, if you take out Nick Foles, because the sample size was the highest passer rating quarterback under pressure. So, like, if that even becomes the league average rate, He's going to struggle relative to last season. And then, you know, so there is a chance like in in a circumstance where Watson was average under pressure for years, I can see the high variance argument for him to be the top fantasy quarterback. But since we've already sort of seen, okay, he already invites a high rate of pressure and he like was really good there. And this is what you got this year. You, you know, same with Kirk Cousins. Like People talk about the Vikings you know, getting better on the offensive line, which is a little shaky, but also like Kirk Cousins won't face as much pressure. Kirk Cousins was a top-10 quarterback in passer rating under pressure last season. So if you even put that towards 16 or 17 in the league, he's going to actually get worse and that the increase in offensive line efficacy is not going to impact him as much as people think because, again, quarterbacks carry their pressure rates with them. So it's a really interesting way to look at quarterbacks as... Inherently volatile or stable as opposed to uh, volatile or stable based
1: upon exogenous factors like their offensive line and the last thing that I think is worth talking about is we made the same this argument is not too dissimilar from when we talk about coverage versus pass rush but it's kind of spins it helps you look at it the other way which is okay if a quarterback is going to determine more so than the offensive line how often he invites pressure and how quickly he throws the ball well then he's also telling you which side of the defense is more important right and that is well look if the quarterback decides to throw it early it doesn't matter what the pass rush does yep right what does matter is who's on the other side of that pass and that's the receiver and the coverage player yeah and i'm not sure when this will
3: come out but we did another study about basically time to throw being that variable really and coverage and pass rush affecting it right and we found that basically coverage and pass rush affect time to throw about equally coverage actually makes people hold on the ball longer as you can imagine pass rush makes them get rid of it quick more quickly and so those are equally effective but then the problem is is Hanging on to the ball quickly is actually worse for an offense, generally, because pressure comes in. Like, Hanging on if you, quickly. If you can live in a world where you assume no pressure ever happens, holding on to the ball better longer is better. But you can never assume that. So uh, you know. So that, again, is a sort of another feather in the cap of, okay, coverage is more important than pass rush. Because coverage makes you do something that is on balance worse. Yes. Pass rush makes you do something that, on balance, you can actually make into a pretty good offense. Right. Which is the Patriots
1: you know, throwing the ball quickly against the Chiefs the, and the Chargers, for the, one value it's not good enough to to simply look at impact you also have to, or you know the rates right you've got to look at what that actually means uh for the for the team that's playing um yeah the patriots were ridiculous yeah and and the thing
3: is is like teams adapt right so it's far harder so what's what's easier to do tell your receivers to get open more or to throw or to like okay i'm gonna stand in the pocket for longer you better beat the guy in front of you that's I mean, and coaches think this way. Coaches are like, well, we just need to execute better. Antonio needs to get open on that 15-yard dig. Well, it's like, well, that's actually harder to do than just to simply scheme an offense where things are going to be open more quickly, and it doesn't depend necessarily on your guys winning
1: so much. Well said. Go check out the It's on pff.com. bunch of good stuff on pff.com, including um, coming soon, next week, I have been told. I mean, PFF Green Line will be live. It's going to be a lot of fun this year. We've got NCAA. If you want to learn more, there is an article that explains all the stuff that will be on there. But big highlights. NCAA games are going to be up there. That is a lot of games. Your Saturday, all of a sudden, my Saturday, went from boring to exciting very quickly. We've got a couple of new uh, tweaks and um, cool things that are available on the page that I think you'll be able to leverage. But all the same good stuff from last year, spreads, totals, money lines, all the kind of unique PFF-based metrics that we had last year. So whether um, you're going on it to you know, actually bet on games or you want to use it um, for your Pick'em League or you want to use it for fantasy, there's a lot of different mm-hmm. ways that you can do that. Um, and I would also mention that... The Super Contest, if you're someone that plays that, is something that you should probably sign up for. You've got to go to Vegas to sign up, but I've got th- I've got a way to make you feel better about it. So you have to go sign up through a proxy service, and if you are going to do that, you should use footballcontest.com. Um, I have used them. We have used them for the past, uh, I think, four years. Uh, mm-hmm. is the, maybe three years is how long I... Um, have used them they're fantastic um uh, maddie is a a, just a tremendously uh, um, timely person so when you set up a time to go meet him they will be there they make sure everything is taken care of it's very easy and then they offer a bunch of great ways for you to keep track of how you're doing during the season it's very easy to submit your picks every week so you get to make a trip to vegas and it's pain free, and then you get to play the super contest every week, which is you pick five games against spread. Winner gets a. Yeah, and, that, and that's I think where a lot of you know the value is in in the in the uh,
3: green line tool is that like you see how the spreads have changed, yep. and, and oftentimes in the in the super contest those lines are stale. So you're you will see like okay, well I'm being I was offered minus three in the super contest, now it's you know minus four. Like I know where the market's sort of going, and so again, this is all about sort of. Risk reward sort of things. If you want, if you need yeah, that pick, you're playing against yeah. other people that know if, the same thing. If you thing. want that pick, if you want that pick to be a, a more than likely a win to keep you up pace with the market because you're ahead of by a few yep. games, you know you you act one way if you need to be contrary and you'll act a different way. Uh, it's certainly you know part of the part of that could think the benefit of that tool.
1: It helps you learn uh, very quickly why if you're going to place bets on games to do so earlier. Yep, that is for sure. All right, that's all we've got for this week. Please. Be safe out there. Preseason week two is very dangerous. Don't die. Uh, Don't get too caught up in what you see. In fact, be like, uh, well, not you, but me, who is not going to watch the games. I'm going to work. Same here. I'm going to prepare for week one. That's what really matters. We'll see you guys. Peace out.